That was a good start to our morning. Uh, if you're not, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series called Animate. We're going to be here for a few weeks, uh, and then we're going to start our Christmas series after that. Um, but we are speaking of like spiritual formation. We're speaking of uh, dreadlocks. Hey, sister, how are you? God, God bless you. God bless you, man. Well, it's always good to see dreadlocks in the crowd. We have a couple more, and uh, I'm anyway. I digress. Um, but we're we're speaking of being transformed by truth, right? Of of our spiritual formation. And by the way, everybody is spiritually formed. Whether or not you're spiritually formed towards the likeness of Jesus or not is the question. Whether it's good spiritual formation or bad spiritual for- formation is the question. So we're all being tr- spiritually transformed all the time. We are being uh, we have input into our lives. So. So we're speaking of this, but, but in the context of the Christian life, of, of, of Christian spiritual formation, we are talking about finding the freedom that Jesus talks about and experiencing uh, Jesus in a com- concrete reality within this inner sanctum of meeting him. You know, in old lingo, we might say it's a quiet time of, of, of entering into a place and a time where we meet with Christ and we really become uh, intimate and close to him. So I want, I want to remind you that we have made up these booklets to use throughout the series that's got a weekly activity. Uh, so go ahead and grab one of those. There's still some back in the back next to the coffee stuff on the left-hand side. Uh, this one too you can take if there's none left. Um, but go ahead and use those because this is like as we speak through this stuff, we want to take the time to practice it, you know, and uh, really put it into action. So we don't just want to be about feeding information, but we really actually want to put uh, feet and legs to this thing. So today we're going to go further into putting flesh and bones to this, this idea of our spiritual formation. And we want to start with a verse, John 1.14, very familiar verse to all of us that says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. Very familiar verse, but a very profound verse uh, in the context of which it was written. God, this idea that God was made flesh, that God became a human, the incarnation in theological speak, right? And uh, we realize that when John wrote that, John wasn't just theorizing about Jesus' glory, that he actually saw it. Right, he actually saw it. Jesus was a concrete experience for John, and that's why he could write this. So, if John ever felt spiritually dry, all he had to do was go back and recall images and experiences and words and feelings of being with Jesus. Right? It's pretty profound if you think about it. And we spoke of that word contemplation last week of being. Comp- contemplative, it's hard to, it's hard to say that sometimes, uh, but sp- contemplation the, or the ability to image truth in our minds and how that ability to use our imagination and image truth in our minds actually transforms us, right? Richard Foster in his book, uh, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, writes this. He says, to believe that God can sanctify, and sanctify just means to change us or to set us apart and make us holy Uh, so to believe that God can sanctify sanctify and utilize the imagination is simply to take seriously the Christian idea of incarnation all right let's say that twice 
to believe that God can sanctify and utilize the imagination is simply to take seriously the Christian idea of incarnation. In other words, God's living word embodied in our flesh. God's living word made real in in us, right? And so we're going to start with a poem this morning by a woman named Terry Churchill. And it's called Words. And it illustrates our dilemma in this spiritual formation as it relates to the Word of God. She says, I've been trying to reach you, climbing a tower of words, babbling words, dead ink. Now, isn't that how you feel a lot of times when you're reading Scripture? My heart cannot speak this language, so it smiles politely and nods its head and pretends to understand. But your words are not like this. You opened your mouth, and creation said yes, and appeared from nothing. Day and night, oceans and land, and me. All this, with a few words, I want to hear you this way. I want to hear you in flesh and blood, and blinding colors, and music that carries me to you. Can you carve your meaning into my heart? Will you say to the motionless ink, rise and walk? I like that. Uh, I like that poem. Climbing a tower of words doesn't get us to God. That's just building our tower of Babel all over again, isn't it? It's not like just dead ink, dead words. It's not the language our heart speaks necessarily. Information is just dead ink on a page until it becomes incarnated in you. It becomes alive in you, right? Here are some more familiar words. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And if they remain only words on a page, then they have no real power in us, right? They They don't change us. They don't make a difference to us. And we've studied those words if we've been around church. But until they become real, they're not what your heart speaks necessarily. You'll go through the church motions, you'll nod, you'll pretend, you know when to bow, you know when to clap, you know when to say amen. But it hasn't been made flesh. It's not making a difference to you, right? We need words, as Terry said, full of color and music which carry us to Jesus. Which paint a picture in us and become a reality in us. That's what we need. Now, you remember the words of this story. Is that picture up there? I usually have a screen over here. I can't see. You remember the words of this story, right? If you've read your Bible at all, which you should be. She's about to be stoned to death because the law says she must. She's the adulterous woman. And they bring her to Jesus the only sinless man who actually has the, the, the right to judge her and to stone her, to take her life for this sin, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that, does he? If you remember the story. He treats her with compassion. He forgives her. He stands in the gap for her. And the secret is that when we read that story, we are all that woman. All of us, we are all that woman, but we are also all the men standing around her at the same time. None of us is without sin. None of us is innocent. We all stand guilty before God and we all deserve 
are deserving of death. But Jesus comes along and he quietly stands in the gap for you. Now I bet her experience of Jesus is real. I bet it is absolutely totally real to her. He touched her. He forgave her. He stood in the gap for her. He reached down and he lifted her up when no one else would. Everybody else wanted to kill her. And we, when we look at this painting, we, we realize that art can enflesh truth, can it? It helps you to imagine the story and it puts bones and skin on it. I imagine Drew feels a little bit different about that story after listening to it and writing a song about it. The words, you're forgiven, could be just dead ink on a paper, right? You're forgiven. How many of us have studied and even taught those words, you're forgiven in Christ, yet we still walk through life feeling condemned, feeling less than, feeling like God doesn't love us, feeling like God doesn't have time for us, feeling always condemned. They're words which sometimes have not been incarnated in us. They've not been made flesh in us. We walk around just feeling guilty all the time. I'm not talking about the initial salvation of our lives, but I'm, I'm talking about sanctification of change, which should bring about freedom and transformation in us. I don't think that we were meant to walk around feeling like that. You, salvation isn't dependent on, on getting it all right, of practicing your faith perfectly. We know that it is by grace through faith alone, right? We know that Jesus saved us, that we had nothing to do with that. But And we come out of that, we want to live the gospel. We want to live the freedom that he talks about. But oftentimes we don't. We can still walk around after being saved, Refusing to be sanctified, refusing to be changed, and and walking around feeling condemned our whole life. But it doesn't make it true of you. It doesn't make it true of you, right? We need words full of color which paint a picture in us and become a reality for us. Words becoming a song which carry us to Jesus. Words like this. You may have seen this painting. Is it up there? I can't see. Why isn't my screen working? Gosh, dang it. Anyway, but if it's up there, it's uh, Jesus holding this man, right? He's holding the man up. But if you notice, the man is holding the hammer and the spikes that crucified Jesus. His sin, like all of ours, drove those nails into Jesus' flesh and bone, right? Thank you, Mark. You are awesome. But Jesus holds us up. And He says, I forgive you. And it's not just information which impacts us, right? But it's reality, it's flesh and blood, it's touch. And when that information, that truth becomes real to me, it changes me, it transforms me. And when God speaks, reality occurs, right? You opened your mouth, Terry wrote. And creation said yes. And appeared from nothing, day and night and oceans and land and me. And birdies and kitty cats and dogs and trees and lakes and my kids. And freedom. Freedom, right? Freedom, that elusive thing that we all want. When God speaks, things happen. And that's not just about initial creation. 
It is happening now. God is interactive in our lives now. He can be, right? Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. So Jesus sustains in the continuous sense. He is interactive with his, His creation right now. We are sustained in flesh and blood existence. Our reality held together by the power of Jesus' Word. That word which was best expressed on the cross. And this means that we're held up now by this unsurpassable love all throughout eternity. And so that breath that you just took was a gift of God. And God sustains this concrete, tangible, experiential truth, which is you. He creates this concrete truth and He loves it. He loves it. He's enamored with it. But that's the opposite view of the ancient Greeks when John was writing his gospel, right? It is the exact opposite of their thinking. They didn't value concrete, tangible reality, the material world. They saw it as imperfect or unreal and even evil. And they believed God would have nothing to do with this material world. So they put abstract truth, or or they they held up abstract truth above concrete material truth. And so for Plato, math was the highest form of knowledge because it was the farthest removed from the material world. It was abstract. They divorced the mind from the heart. They looked down on emotion and the heart. They didn't value them at all. And they looked up to reason and mind. And they thought the heart and the emotions too influenced by the physical world so they didn't want to have anything to do with all that. And therefore the heart was inferior to the mind in Greek thought. God wasn't interested in involving himself with anything physical or concrete for the Greeks so he was divorced from it, right? God was above having emotion or being impacted by anything in this world. And this had a very unfortunate effect on theology in the formation of early Christianity since God would be described to everybody as an abstract principle. And you felt this. He's above. He's detached. He's far from emotion. He's abstract. He's unknowable. He's far off. He's separated from you by a sea of holiness. He doesn't mix his hands up with this stuff. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible loves His creation. He created it. He spoke it into being and He interacts with it. He speaks in the context of relationship with us. Not in abstract theological principles. He's impacted by what goes on and He has emotion about creation and people. He feels it. We impact Him and He impacts us. He uses vivid metaphors to describe and communicate who He is to us, right? He says He's the groom, He's the good shepherd, He's the lion, He's the lamb, He's the father, He's the son, and so on and so forth. Those aren't abstractions to us, are they? They're not not far off things. Those are pictures that we can relate to. Things that we know and we can touch and we can see and we've experienced. And then He gives dreams and visions to prophets who see Him through their imagination. They experience Him. 
They experience His Word through this stuff. And then the whole story culminates with this very unique God becoming flesh and bone in Jesus, in the person of Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. We're coming upon Christmas, believe it or not. Halloween, Thanksgiving, then Christmas, and that's what we're going to talk about, right? God became tangible, concrete, human, incarnate. I just started thinking about Talladega Nights and the prayer to the baby Jesus. I don't know why. Isn't that terrible? I watched it last night on Netflix. I just totally threw you off. I'm sorry. But he became concrete and tangible and human, and John can't get over it. And you've got to understand, when he's writing, that's why he can't get over it. Because he's writing against something. In 1 John chapter 1, he writes, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we, have test- we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life. God became flesh and made His dwelling among us, right? which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, that you, along with us and along with God, can have fellowship together, that you can experience the living God in the community with others. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, John, we get it, right? We get it. You saw Him. You touched Him. But John's words are so far removed from Greek abstraction that he's got to be overkill in his description. He's got to be. God becoming flesh was absolutely unheard of in Greek thought. There's no way it would have happened. So John had to be clear. God is real. God is tangible. We can have fellowship with Him. We have touched Him. We have walked with Him. We have eaten dinner with Him. And even after Jesus is resurrected, his body's transformed for sure, but he's still tangible. You've got to realize that. He ate broiled fish after his resurrection. Thomas stuck his finger in his side. In Luke chapter 24, the disciples are talking and, and the resurrected Jesus shows up in the room and they're frightened. And he says, why are you troubled? Imagine if Jesus walked into the room after he was crucified, right? Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then he asked for something to eat. Impersonal abstractions don't ask for something to eat. Right? They don't. They don't. God is not a far removed principle. He's in love with this physical world. He's in love with you. He is part of it. He made it. He sustains it. And we, as human beings, are made in His image with a godly impulse to be transformed by concrete, divine experience. There's something in us all that long for it to be changed. I was just reading Dallas Willard yesterday, and he said that people think of God more than they think of sex. I kind of believe that. Some of you are like, what? I think about sex a lot. (laughs) Right? 
But honestly, I think human beings do think about God more than they think about sex. It's in us. We long for it. We long for that relationship, don't we? Greeks had it wrong. They had it wrong. The heart and mind aren't two separate things. We think with concrete experiential images and emotion. We think by replicating concrete experiences in our minds with all five senses involved for seeing and smelling and tasting and touching and hearing. When I think of my wife... I don't think just with a ticker tape of data running through my brain with just information on it, like her hair color, skin color, you know, where she was born. I get an image of her. How she smells. How she looks. How she makes me feel. I recall her kiss and the taste of her lips and the smell of her hair. It's nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's not abstract information to me, right? She's real to me. The same set of neurons in my brain fire away. They're activated whether she's sitting right next to me or not. I was in Beirut last week and I, or two weeks ago and I could think about Kim and it's still the same sort of feelings come up in my brain. She doesn't have to be right next to me for me to experience her. That's why we can experience Jesus. But if you ask me about Kim, I can only really give you information, right? I can only give you, you can't experience my experience of Kim. You can't. Not in the same way, and definitely not in the same way. She's my wife, right? (laughs) We think with concrete images, with neurons firing away in our brains one three thousandths of a second at a time. There are so many images firing away in our brains, our mouths can't keep up with them right? What comes out of our mouths is nowhere near the experience going on in our head, right? If I say Krispy Kreme donuts to you, you have a very different experience of that term than the person sitting next to you, right? The information we give another person is always abstract information, one step uh, uh, away or, or removed from the actual experience of it, right? We can't grab somebody's hand like John Coffey did in The Green Mile. Remember that movie? And he would just grab people's hands and they would have, like, have the same experience. right? And like all the like, images and the feelings and the fear would come through. We can't do that. That's not how it works. We think with concrete images, though. And, and we re-image something that we've experienced. And all of our experiences have an emotion attached to them. The heart and the mind together, right? The more concrete an image is the more power it has over our lives. Every thought has an emotion attached to it, and every emotion is accompanied by a thought. Always. Even if you're the most unfeeling guy in the room, it still is true. Think about how much time you spend feeding your mind images and experiences, watching football or Netflix or reading nasty, trashy fiction novels. Whatever it is, and now think about how much time you spend contemplating Jesus, and it is no wonder that we feel so spiritually dry all the time. When I'm away from my wife, I'm moved to emotion by her thought. The image of her enjoying a sunny day in her garden, or smiling, or talking to her plants, which she does, 
I feel something when I think about those things. Are you thirsty, little planties? <laughs> it is funny. You know, in advertising, uh, some commercials have no words at all or words that we can't, under, uh, 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 can't even understand, like that Fiat, uh, Fiat Abarth com- commercial. Remember, it was like 2012 Super Bowl. It's, it's like I don't, I don't watch the football, but I watched that commercial. I knew exactly what was happening, but I don't speak Italian, right? It doesn't matter. Advertisers speak with concrete imagery, right? Some commercials legally have to communicate words like drug ads with their long list, litany of things that this drug could do to you, but you don't remember all that, do you? You don't think about all that. They capture your attention with imagery. You watch that little lady in the cartoon robe following her around, signifying her depression, and, it, and you feel it. The image matters, right? It's why sex sells. It's easiest for people to imagine sexual imagery, so even products that have nothing to do with sex are associated with sex. Like your computer storing cookies, images get planted in our brain. They just get downloaded there. And we don't get information about things, uh, we don't just get information about uh, things in the past. You know, we we re-experience, we reimagine them, we feel them, we see them. Memories for us can be a very powerful experience, especially traumatic memories. I remember when Sana was hit by a car. I can still picture driving through the the intersection of Haverford Avenue and Ardmore Avenue in my truck, laying on the horn when it's pouring rain and like rush hour traffic. But I was getting through that, that, that intersection to get to the hospital. I remember walking in and seeing Maddie standing against the door just like this. She wouldn't move because she was so traumatized by seeing Santa fly through the air. She's like a little feather. Boink. She just, she's kind of cute when you think about it. But, um, <laughs> but I remember that. I remember these things. I remember seeing Santa in the bed. They were traumatic experiences for me. And I, re- I feel them when I think about them. A soldier with PTSD hears a sound and he associates it with a past memory and he may not even know that he's doing it, but he feels it. He re-experiences the past. I just heard from one of the pastors in Beirut two weeks ago about his re-experience for a long time. He had PTSD and he would wake up with, you know, in night sweats and, and, and with the smell of blood in his mouth and, or in his nose and, and all that kind of stuff. It was just crazy what he was experiencing, right? Some of us walk around re-experiencing horrible instances of abuse in our lives and we react to people in ways that we don't even realize we're doing because our heart minds need rebooting. They need transformation. And until we bring every thought captive to Christ and apply truth to them, we can't fully be transformed into His ever-increasing glory. Like deleting cookies from our hard drive, God renews our minds, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Science and advertisers know how the mind operates in concrete experiential images, but Christians still exalt abstract truth over concrete, life-changing, experiential truth. We dismiss imagination as if it's child's play. We've installed cookies in our brains which make us afraid of words like vision and visualize and imagination because of the New Age movement. When I was a kid, it was like the big thing, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the New Age movement. Oh, everybody's all scared about it. And, And it's programmed us to think all those words are wrong. But the world knows the power of concrete experiential imagery. It's how the world speaks to us. 
You know, they say that artists and uh, musicians uh, see things in culture way before everybody else does, and they start expressing those things before they do, right? They're the, in, in a sense, they're kind of the visionaries. The philosophers see it first, and then the artists and the, and the musicians start to write and sing about it and paint about it, and then it, it filters down to us, right? The world knows the power of experiential imagery, and, it's, and it comes to us through these things. It's how the world speaks to us. But much of its messages to us are lies. They're lies. Bikini-clad girls will not chase me down if I spray axe all over my body. I tried. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The images we indulge ourselves in move us, don't they? They really do. We feel them. We experience them. And some of them are good images, right? There are great things that are produced out in the world, right? Good song, Drew, right? For instance, justice and equality. Justice and equality all came alive through Daniel Day-Lewis's portrayal of Abraham Lincoln in the movie Lincoln, if if you've ever seen it. And if you've ever seen that movie, you will never view Abraham Lincoln again. He was, in a sense, made real to us in a very powerful way. Who can watch Les Miserables without shedding a tear? And the reason being is that it is the gospel animated through the French Revolution. It really is. We see sacrifice and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and evil and sin all portrayed to us through image and character and song. And we feel the loving sacrifice when Eponine sings while she's dying in Marius' arms. If you don't cry at that scene, there's something wrong with you, right? There's something wrong. In the Bible series on TV, people experience the story of Scripture through concrete experiential imagery. A CNN reporter said, It sounds strange to me to say that a show about the Bible was a hit, but it was. Many people said that the last episode moved them to tears. They could experience the story through imagery with reason and emotion commingled there, right? But many images we're bombarded with in this world, don't reflect Jesus and don't reflect the truth of Him. They actually move us away from experiencing the concrete, transformative power of Jesus and they become damaging to us. And all we've armed ourselves with is abstract theological truth to do battle, knowing a lot of information, right? That's why we say that we believe in God, but we feel so dead and dry sometimes. All we have is information. Satan has robbed us of all the beautiful concrete truth experiences which settle it into our soul that Jesus is real. We can't battle all the imagery with only abstract information, with only knowledge. It doesn't work. And it's why personal testimony is so powerful in seeing people experience Christ. I was at a church in Beirut and the pastor gave up his sermon time on the fly because he opened up the mic for people to just give personal testimony about what God's done in their life. They went on, the service went for three and a half hours. And it felt like a half an hour. It was just such a beautiful expression of what Christ was doing in these people's lives. And they, you could tell they loved each other and they loved Jesus and all this stuff was happening. And it was just really cool to hear it, right? 
Personal testimony is so powerful because we can see people experience Jesus because it's one step closer to experiencing him or experiencing the emotion of the story and and seeing a concrete change in somebody's life. Although it's still sort of abstract information, you can't argue the experience of someone else's testimony. You can't. You can't say, ah, you didn't ha- that didn't happen to you. They experienced it. And typically, though, through their story, you recall something of your own story. And we call it relating. Oh, I related to their story. In other words, you recalled images and experiences of your own. And it, made, and it helped to make sense to you, right? We have to rediscover a flesh and blood theology through contemplation. Seeing Jesus with our mind's eye, to experience and touch Him, to stick your finger in His side, to take on a life and be animated. But Jason, you might say, John could see and touch Jesus, but Jesus isn't here right now. How do we have a flesh and blood theology now when we can't see Him? Well, we can't touch Him when we never had that experience. And the answer is the inner sanctum. The answer is that you have the Holy Spirit in your life. It is the bridge between our concrete experiential truth and blood, uh, flesh and blood world and the spiritual truths of the Bible. God gave us imagination as a tool to engage the inner sanctum through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. And, and this isn't inferior to abstract truth as the Greek would have said back then. It's not make-believe as the naturalist would say which many people out there right now are naturalists. It's make-believe. It's not new age. It's contemplating biblical truth, focusing thoughts on Jesus, contemplating the Lord's glory, and being transformed by it. Going back to our verses from last week, our passage from last last week, 2 Corinthians 3 uh, and, and 4. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So without Jesus, we can't enter into the reality of who He is. Right? We've been blinded. Verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So come to Christ and the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Verse 6 of chapter 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness... (laughs) made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So taking on His glory, all that the Lord is by nature becomes ours by grace. Transformed into His likeness as we behold His truth. As we behold Him in the Scriptures. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus had been gone for decades when that was written, right? 
But the author speaks of fixing our spiritual eyes on Jesus and all that is by nature God's becomes ours by grace as we run this race marked out for us, right? Colossians 3, 1 through 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds for nail on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So set your minds for nail. This includes the idea of imagination, this word, and many times it's, it is only translated as imagination. Set your hearts and minds on things above. Imagine this truth. Imagine that your life is hidden away with Christ. Over my spiritual life, I have imagined this verse quite often. Those, but those could be lifeless words to us unless we set our unveiled inner eyes on that truth, right? And what does it mean? What does that look like to you when you start to really imagine that? What images come to mind? How does, it, how does it affect you? How does it move you? And what does a person who has died to this world of sin, not creation, they didn't die to creation, creation's not bad, but died to this world of sin, right? But now lives with God, act and feel towards others. How does He change you? Because remember we said last week that the world needs people, Christians who love people. People who are fighting for the kingdom of peace. Right? That's what we need more than anything right now. I was watching this comedian yesterday, and he was making fun of this Christian guy. And he says, you know, I, he goes, I did that joke um, a couple weeks back with another audience, and they said, well, would you make that joke about a, a Muslim? Like, would you make that joke towards a Muslim in the crowd? And he said, well, let me ask you this, Christian guy. He goes, when's the last time you ever blew anything up? <laughs> and he said, you haven't. He goes, what are you going to do, forgive me? Like, that's what Christians do. We forgive. It is innate in the character of God to love and to forgive and to extend mercy and grace. That is who we are. There are Christian groups out there that I don't think are walking with the Lord that do fight in ways that they shouldn't. But I don't think that they're really following Jesus in that. And that imagination brings us into this inner sanctum. Brings us right at the foot of the cross, right? The bridge between the abstract and the concrete flesh and bone experiential world. It's not just knowing the information. It's truth getting inside and animating our hearts with which transforms us. Origen in the third century wrote in his homily on Genesis, he said, let us for, therefore always fix our gaze on this image of God so that we might be able to be reformed or you could say transformed in its likeness by contemplating or beholding in the mind the divine image in whose likeness God has made us, we will receive through His Word and His power that form which had been given Him by nature. Now Paul already said that. We've been saying that, right? By contemplating truth, we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. <clears throat> we see God when we see God as love, we become more loving. When we see God as forgiving, we become more forgiving. When we see the the, the freedom that God extends us in the gospel, we can live in freedom. We are transformed from one degree of glory to the next 
as we gaze upon the perfect one and his truth is made flesh in us. The human self is fully integrated under God and functions as it should under the keeping of God in Christ. The incarnation wasn't just an advantage to the twelve disciples. It wasn't just their, wow, they, they got it better than us, right? How could Jesus say to us, if you see me, you see the Father, right? And have all that only benefit the disciples who'd physically seen him. How could he say that? Well, we know intuitively that's not what he meant, right? That's not what he meant. He's proclaiming truth beneficial to everyone throughout history. How can you see what God looks like if you don't physically see Jesus? We have the inner sanctum. We have that place where we meet with Jesus and truth comes alive in us. St. Francis de Sales in his introduction to the devout life in the 16th century wrote this. He said, by means of the imagination, we confine our mind, I like that term, confine our mind within the mystery of, on which we meditate. Remember last week I said, you don't just meditate on nothing, and you don't meditate on anything but on Scripture, right? So he says, we confine our mind within the mystery of what, on, on which we meditate, that it may not ramble to and fro, our mind won't go all over the place, just as we shut up a bird in a cage or tie a hawk by his leash so that he may rest on the hand. It's something that we've all experienced, Right? If we don't focus our mind on truth, our brain flutters all over the place, right? Like a bird in a room. Because our brains are wired for reality and prayer seems like an abstraction. If we don't engage our imagination, then our brains want to go to the concrete images of the grocery list and car repairs and and report cards and unruly two-year-olds and the bills you haven't paid and all that kind of garbage, right? And then we get upset with ourselves. Well, why can't I get focused? Why can't I deal with this? Why can't I walk with Jesus well? Right? Our prayer life needs to become as vivid as TV commercials. That's what St. Francis was talking about. Imaginative to prayer directed at Jesus through his word actually tethers it strongly to the only thing that can be 100% trusted. And it gives it a place to land. It gives it a place to focus. In the 16th century, St. Ignatius of Loyola used to run these 30-day imaginative cataphatic prayer retreats, and he said, it's not knowing a lot, which is our sin these days. We just want to know more and know more and know more. It's not knowing a lot, but it's grasping the things intimately and savoring them that fills and satisfies the soul. But we are so busy, we can't take the time to do that. Right? We have access to more information than ever before, than than Ignatius and all his students put together, right? We have more access to information than they ever did. But if you have the Scriptures, if you have come to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in life, then you are unveiled and you can contemplate this stuff well. It's not all the vast information. You don't have to understand the whole Bible in one sitting. Which trans- it's not all that vast information which transforms you. It's the intimate time before Jesus. It's those quiet moments with Him. If you could spend time contemplating just one verse a day, one verse a week, 
Imagine what the Holy Spirit could do in and through you. Imagine how you would be changed. One verse that has really been powerful for me is, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. When I'm feeling pretty down about myself, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Boy, that changes me, right? Ignatius continued to say, he said, pray with all five senses. See the persons within the, within the eye, with the eye of the imagination. Imagine hearing what they say. Imagine I smell and taste the infinite savor and sweetness of the divinity. Imagine touching by embracing and kissing the place where the person step or sit. He's putting himself into the story, right? And by the way, this is old, old, old Christian practice. This is solid, old Christian practice. Contemplation. Imaging truth. Putting yourself into the story. Taking the time to enter the inner sanctum with Jesus. Meeting with Him. With a redeemed imagination, we savor the sweetness of divinity. A few helpful resources if you'd like to explore your spiritual formation even more, uh, even further. Um, There's a book called Sacred Listening by James Wakefield. And this sermon goes up on the website by tomorrow. So it's written into the sermon. You can just find these names of these books. But Sacred Listening by James Wakefield, it's a translation of Ignatius, uh, his 30-day prayer class. So you can read that if you'd like to. We, uh, in our newsletter, Steph turned me on to this Praise You Go app. So if you don't get the newsletter, I can forward it to you if you email me. But there's an app out there called Praise You Go, and it's talking about this stuff that we're talking about. It's really kind of a cool little app to have on your phone. And then number three is a book that I'm starting to read again uh, called Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. It's like one of those books where you have to like reread a paragraph like two or three times because you're like, oh, what did he, whoa, what did he just say? You know, it's really cool stuff. But um, I, would, I would urge you to read that if you want. But they're, they're just really good stuff. Um, and they can help you kind of understand this even further. We can take this conversation even further. There I am giving you more information. Um, but in John 5, Jesus is addressing the Jews who have studied the Scriptures. They're, they're very smart. They've gotten all the information. They've studied the Scriptures for just information's sake. So I want to end today by contemplating together, just for a few quiet moments. We did this last week. Uh, his response to them in verse 39 and 40. And I put a question up there to help you kind of tether your thoughts even more. How does the written word of God bring intimacy with the living word of God, right? In John 5, 39 through 40. Let me just, let's just go to a prayerful place. Close your eyes, bow your heads, however you want to do it. And let me read that a couple times uh, with some pauses in between. John 5, 39 through 40. Let me open us up in prayer. Lord, we come to you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here and that you would move in this room and in our hearts. And we imagine you uh, walking the aisles of this church, that you would come down an aisle and go up the next one, that you would walk between the seats, and that maybe you would touch each person as you walk by them, as you squeeze by their legs, you, you would reach out and grab their head and just say, I love you. And I want to be close to you. We imagine that. We imagine that you're here with us, Lord Jesus. And we believe it. 
You said, where two or more gather in your name, there you are also. I just, we believe that. John five thirty nine through 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them that you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 